Hey guys, it's Allison. I am so glad you're here with me. I want to tell you that this podcast, From Weeds to Wildflowers, it's all about resilience. So then it's pretty much about life. And if you've ever experienced life, then this podcast could possibly be for you. I want to put a disclaimer out there first. I am not a therapist. I'm not here to give you advice or to tell you what to do. What I am though is human. Yep, same as you. A human being that has an immense desire to want to help people discover ways to heal. There is so much suffering in this world, some of which stems from outside influences, but most of our suffering comes from within, from our own devices. And that is what worries me the most. I too have suffered, and yes, some of which came by means of my own hands. I would love for you to join me and walk alongside me as we navigate this wonderful, beautiful, sometimes frightening thing we call life. Let's find out what we're made of, and perhaps we can find ways we can do it better. Help me to unearth skills to dig deep in search of proverbial water that heals. Let's learn how to bloom wherever we find ourselves not just where we're planted, and uncover the source of our own innate personal happiness. Come on now, let's do this together. Hey guys. So a couple of things have happened lately that spurred this episode. The first thing that came up did so while I was editing the episode that dropped last week with Beth Quas. Beth and I talked about the fact that people believe that feeling crappy and unhappy every day is normal, that it's acceptable. And she had stated that people need to realize that if you don't like what you're doing, that you can change that and get back to happy. There is so much truth in that little statement. You know, I've heard it said, if you're a gambler, that if you're losing at a table, the best thing you can do is to get up and move to a different table. I feel that this concept can be applied to life as well. If you don't like the way things are going, you can get up and move to a different table. You can change. What do you think? So this thought process perpetuated a question, a question that I feel needs asking before you can really get to that change and get back to happy. The question is, where are you? I'm not talking about a physical location, not being said as where are you, but more like where are you? Where is the you that is you and has been you since the day we're born? The you at your core. The you that was you before you became Tom, Sally, Joe, John. Before you became a name, before you became someone's daughter, son, someone's sister or friend before you became the job you're currently doing or the hobby that you're delving into right now. So again, I ask, where are you? I think it also would stand to reason to ask then, who are you? Have you asked yourself that question ever or lately? If you have asked the question, then how long has it been since you've checked in? I imagine we're often unaware of where we are or who we are. Life is busy. Being unaware is something of note, but more concerning is, do we even know that we're missing? 
missing in our lives by not knowing who we are or where we are. We could file a missing persons report, but who would they be looking for? Who would they be trying to find? The you that is you that you present to the world or the you at your core? And if it's the you that you present to the world, what does that look like? Who does that look like? Is that acceptable? Is that okay? How far apart is that you with the core you? Is there a large gap? Maybe a chasm? Or is it relatively small, minute, or even non-existent? Is whatever that is, is that enough for you? And only you can answer that. And whatever the answer is, is positively perfect if that resonates with you. Those of you that are where you want to be, who you want to be, those of you who may have no gap could probably skip the rest of this episode. But if you're not, if that's not you, if you are looking for more, more of you, and more of what can be done to find that person, then you may glean something by listening until the end of the episode. So in looking back at my own life, I've been many versions of me, and the quote-unquote me continues to change, to morph. In and of itself, the fact that I've been many versions of me is not necessarily concerning. I'm sure that it's even what some would consider normal. So let me insert here that most of the previous versions of me were, for the most part, borrowed. They were bits and pieces of other people that I borrowed or tried on. Ways that others were that I felt I wanted in my life or, more accurately, wanted to be. These other versions of me or pieces of versions of me were also bits that were given to me, assumed of me, and inherited or placed upon me from other sources. But it wasn't until the past year and really, truthfully, the past six months that I honestly feel that I am the most authentic version of me. I'm finally asking the questions of myself that I wished I'd had the insight to ask so many years ago. Questions like, does this align with me? Is this really how I feel? Or am I saying or doing something to please or appease someone else? Or am I doing it just to avoid confrontation altogether? Am I giving away my authenticity or my power to belong? Do I know my truth in this matter, or am I merely adopting the view of someone else? I'm finally listening to my intuition, to my gut, and following through. Don't get me wrong, I'm still learning and growing here. And I don't always choose best. But you know what? I'm making choices instead of letting others make my choices for me, or letting others' choices be mine. There was always an underlaying of the authentic me all along. It just got covered up along the way. My spark, my ember, it never died, it never went out, but it did lay dormant for a time. I see points in time where this me, where my ember caught fire, reared up and made itself known, if only even for a moment. But that me never gave up on me, not even when I pushed it back down. And the coolest thing is that once I started a practice of meditation, of breath work, when I finally slowed down and became still, 
I started to listen. And as I listened to my heart, well, my ember, it broke open. I broke open. And I began making choices that reverberated within me. And I started to unpack things that no longer fit. It had been so long since I'd gone through my proverbial closet that I went through that closet and started sifting through everything in there. I commenced ridding my closet of things that no longer fit, whether it was old ideas and worn out thought processes, things that were the wrong color, the wrong texture or size, narrow lenses that didn't allow for new possibilities. And as I did this, I heard and felt the voice, the ember, gain traction. I knew that this was my life, my song, the beginnings of a great symphony, a symphony that was all mine, all new, and that was left for me to create. You know, throughout my life, I would hear a string being plucked within myself. I could feel a vibration. I could faintly make out bits and pieces of a melody that was absolutely beautiful and sweet, but that never fully broke open. I never let it come out. I'd been content trying to belong to other people's symphonies, other people's songs, playing a different instrument each time in an effort to make it sound authentically me. This seemed to work at least for a time. Well, <laughs> up until it didn't. I wanted to make change, to hear my song, to create my own symphony. And you know what? Those different instruments that I'd tried out, I gotta take those things with me. I gotta keep those skills, those talents, the knowledge, and use them in my own music. I was able to draw off of those experiences and those effects to make the sound of my symphony more robust, more round, a beautiful kaleidoscope of colors and textures. You know, we live lives where we outsource ourselves in so many ways. Sometimes we've been this version of ourselves for so long that we truly believe that this is who we are, that this is us, that this is me. We feel that if we're not this version, then who are we? Have you ever felt that if you're not that person that everybody assumes that you are, that you might run the risk of not being loved, accepted, wanted, or needed? I know that I have. But truthfully, if we're living authentically, in our alignment with Source, showing up genuinely as ourselves. You know, we will never have to wonder or worry about being loved or accepted by others. For those will be things, those things such as love, acceptance, needing, respect, support, whatever it may be, that we will be able to provide for ourselves. The best thing that we can actually give to ourselves is love, to love ourselves. So just case in point, when taking a ride on an airplane, the staff goes through certain instructions about the aircraft as well as safety and emergency instructions. Now they don't just go through this information occasionally or on certain flights. This happens on every airline, on every single flight. No matter if the flight is 15 minutes or 15 hours, it's protocol. So they must feel that this is paramount. One of the instructions given 
is about the use of oxygen in an emergency. And the information is the same every time. Anyone who's been on an airplane could probably recall the instructions, or at least some of them. And if you're a regular, well, you've likely got them memorized. So one of the things that they tell you is to put your oxygen mask on yourself before you attempt to help anyone else. As much as you might love someone else on that plane, if you don't put your own mask on first, you may not have the time to help anyone else, including yourself. If we apply that to life in general, if we don't love ourselves first, then our capacity to love others is greatly diminished or impaired. When people talk about getting their buckets filled, about other people feeling or other people not filling their bucket where they feel they should, the filling of that bucket is our own individual responsibility. Did you hear that? The filling of our proverbial bucket is our responsibility. How did I not know this so many years ago? I spent so much of my life hoping, waiting, and expecting someone else to fill my bucket. I assumed that I was filling other people's buckets, so therefore, I expected mine to be filled as well by someone else. Here is the barefaced truth. It is our own work. It's completely unfair to ask someone, anyone, to fill our bucket. It's unfair to place that responsibility in someone else's hands, for that is a task that they will most genuinely, ultimately fail in doing. Not because they mean to fail, but we are setting them up for failure and setting ourselves up for disappointment. For when that responsibility is placed in the proper hands, in our hands, we realize that we can fill our own bucket. And more importantly, we find that there will be a never-ending supply of whatever you need to fill your bucket with. What's the saying? Whatever it is we ask from another, whether we are asking another to give us love, acceptance, respect, success, etc., it is only, only because we are unable to find it within ourselves. It's our work to do, our responsibility. No one can do it for us. But how do we go about finding those things within ourselves? They're there. They've always been there. But where have they been hiding? Well, again, it starts with finding you. Finding that you we were talking about. And loving you. Loving you where you are right now. Not the you that you want to be or the you that you hope to be, but the you that is you right now. Giving yourself that love right now. So where are you hiding? Where are you giving away parts of yourself to be what others want or expect you to be? Where are you giving away your power? You need to uncover you, to unearth you. Take off those cloaks you wear, the ones that don't fit, the ones not made out of the right materials, that aren't really your style or color, if you were to be completely honest. Listen instead to that string that is being plucked within yourself. Slow down enough to hear it. For once you do, you will see things change. You'll feel lighter as you shed things that are inherently not you. You'll begin to see things more clearly. See the light change. You will see the light that shines underneath 
and through it all. That beautiful light, that is you. Go through an inventory you. Now is the perfect time to do this, as it's spring, right? Do some spring cleaning within yourself. Find the things that dwell within you and see what no longer belongs there. Maybe it is old, worn-out ideas, grudges you're holding on to, old stories about who you are or should be. If you want change, then those things have to go. Otherwise, they'll continue to pull you back, back into old, rutted paths. And you know what? Those paths, they may seem easy in the sense that they are the paths you've been traveling for a long time. You kind of know what to expect, and although they don't produce the kind of life or results you really want, your feet know exactly where to go. But in reality, those paths, for one, are keeping you small. And two, they're exhausting. They're those paths with deep ruts that you have to keep deciding if you want to walk in the rut or on the outside of it. And if you're not paying close enough attention, well, you can turn an ankle. And if you're thinking, well, okay, okay, true, but I'll make the change next time there's a fork in the road. Um, nope. Most likely you won't. We make excuses all the day long. Or the fire and the spark fades and we just keep doing the same damn thing we're accustomed to. But you don't have to wait for another fork in the road to come along before change can occur. Not at all. You can start right now. Today and just take off in another direction. Forge your own path right now. So awareness is the key, the first step. And once you're aware of all the ways that you're not showing up authentically in your life, you won't be able to unsee it. You won't be able to go back to being someone else, someone less than you, less than your authentic self. And this breath of fresh air, this will be something you want and need to fill every day of your life from here on out. And you'll find a way to do so. You'll find a way to feel it because it will feel right and natural. It will feel like you. You've always been there, so let's get to it. Let's start to find you. And although it takes a little time to make a new path, and you may even falter or try to go back to the old path, the status quo, Know this, that each time you come back to that new path you've made, this new way of being, it will get easier and you will stay on that path longer each time. And soon, your desire to fall back to the old, to be less than you, well, it will fade and it will eventually disappear. So I'd mentioned right at the first of the episode that a couple of things had happened to me this past week that had spurred this episode. So the first being the discussion about change, about coming back to happy, who and where you are. Well, the second thing that happened this week, and I promise that it ties in with all of this, is that I have been watching some YouTube on how to make Damascus still. Those of you who know what I'm talking about when I say Damascus still know the beautiful images that come to mind. Those of you who don't, let me quickly explain. So. Damascus still is not something new. On the contrary, it stems from ancient times. The exact dates of its beginnings are actually contentious, but 
Texts have been found describing this still dating back about 2,000 years ago or so. Not only is its beginning of ancient date, but Damascus still is also made today, and in much the same way as it was 2,000 years ago. The reason it is something of note is one, its exceptional hardness. The differing pieces of steel that is used to make Damascus steel, the layering of the steel, the forging, the twisting, turning, and again the forging, heating it up, pounding it out again and again is theorized to its increased hardness, its strength. The second reason for it being of note is its remarkable beauty. That's what actually caught my eye. This steel is absolutely gorgeous. Damascus steel is most often made from different pieces of steel with varying levels of carbon. These different pieces, with their differing carbon concentrations, when combined, not only increase the hardness of the steel, but also cause the telltale fingerprinting and color contrast that occurs within the forged steel. Pieces of the steel are combined by layering, securing, and then setting this into the forge, into the fire. The steel is then heated to a certain temperature, removed from the forge, and pounded out in an effort to fuse the different layers into one, to take the many and make one. This is done many times and in many ways to remove any voids that exist between the layers, as well as removing any impurities from the combined metals. It's quite an arduous process, handled with patience and care. For the smithy knows that to create something so beautiful that it takes patience, time, effort, and care. So this can be applied to me, to you, and to life. First, let's take Damascus steel in general. Something so beautiful, something prized, something lasting, something just like you, like me, and us in our highest state. But what it takes to make Damascus steel is much like what it takes to transform us into our highest self, our most authentic version of self. We too, up to this point, are like the beginnings of making this steel. We are all made from pieces and parts, different versions of us. We take the bits and pieces, the fragments found from old versions of ourselves. We pick out the pieces from amongst the rubble and put them together. We secure them to be ready to be forged and formed into something new and different. We too have a forge, a refiner's fire. Our forge is the heat that can be equated to trials in our life trauma we endure, things that test us, make us stronger or softer, depending on what's needed, and experiences that change us and make us different, make us new. This heat also helps to bring out impurities found within us, things that are no longer us, that don't fit us anymore or don't resonate with us in this changed state and need to be removed. The heat also serves to remove voids within us, our character, our truth, and help us change from one state to another, say from solid to something less than solid as necessary, and then back again. This is done with that heat and with the hammer. The heat brings the impurities to the surface, and the hammer completes the action by pounding the layers together, removing voids, solidifying the layers into a hole. The hole then 
becoming greater than the sum of the individual parts. So I wanna talk for just a second about slag. So slag is the byproduct of steel making. That's produced from the separation of the molten steel from the impurities. This slag, once it's out of the forge, hardens, and then it's removed from the steel again by use of the hammer. This process is done again and again, heating it up, filling the voids as the metal melts, bringing the impurities to the surface, cooling down the metal and removing the cooled slag from the outside of the steel altogether. Sometimes this process is faster than at other times, but I'll share a secret with you. The most beautiful pieces of Damascus steel are made with the most diverse of metals, or the metal contents. The same concept applies to life, to us. I feel that we become more beautiful, more interesting, more wondrous when we allow all of our pieces to take part and allow them all to be there. Not just the parts that we feel are acceptable or that others feel are acceptable, but the parts that allow contrast, that are diverse, that allow distinction within ourselves. As we are put to the fire with life experiences, changes, trauma, trials, we become refined. Impurities are removed and pounded into something new entirely. Funny enough, Every piece of Damascus steel is different, is original. It cannot be copied. It is impossible to recreate another piece to be identical. You too are impossible to recreate. There's only one of you, only you. There is ultimate beauty and wonder in that, is there not? I recall when I was young how I wanted to be just like so-and-so for one reason or another. But now, uh, now, I would give anything to just be different than everyone else. I recall when I was teaching up at Weber State University, I taught labs in the health sciences, anatomy, physiology, and pathophysiology labs. At the beginning of each semester, after going through each class individually, having the students tell me their name, Along with what healthcare field they were going into, I would proceed to tell them this that although many of them were going into the same field, taking the same exact classes, learning the same things, often dressing the same, there would always be something that set them apart from everyone else if they let it. And that is your X factor. The piece of you that is different, original, and not like anyone else. And that, that is what will be the most important thing. It will make you a nurse, a rad tech, a respiratory therapist, etc., like no other in that same field. The same concept applies to every individual everywhere. You are you, and you are the only you like you. And just like Damascus Steel, you cannot be replicated ever. In a book called Love, it's What the World's All About by Leo Buscaglia. He states that you will always be the best you and only ever be second best anyone else. So then, why waste the effort? I second that thought. You be you. Find your X factor and shine it up. And if you're not happy where you currently are, with who you are, well then, change something. Slow down. Take the time and listen. 
listen to the melody being played, to the string being plucked, make a new fork in the road, dig deep, find the contrast that exists within you and forge something new, something more you. I can't wait to see what you create. So until next time, have a great day.